Welcome to the Biopractica Professional Podcast Series. Biopractica is an Australian-owned, practitioner-only brand focusing on nutritional and herbal products proven to play a role in preventative medicine. Biopractica is committed to supporting healthcare professionals in developing their knowledge and skills so they can confidently and effectively tackle the major health challenges facing their patients today. To support this commitment, the Learning Hub was established by Biopractica to offer practitioners a collection of educational resources so they can stay informed on the latest in health science research. Hi everyone. If you haven't tuned into one of our podcasts before, welcome. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. My name is Paul Kern. And in this episode, sorry, with the fantastic Claire Murray, we're going to be talking about addressing functional constipation in patients. Welcome, Claire. Hello, Paul. What's happening? Well, uh, we've we've been busy. I've been busy. You've been busy. Uh, no mm-hmm. mental or emotional constipation going on here. Um, just everything's <laughs> moving. Just moving along nicely. Moving along nicely. And what about you? Have you been keeping busy yourself, or have you been uh, sitting back with your feet up and reading a book? Oh my gosh, what is that? <laughs> Um, no, I have been busy. I have been very busy. I have been immersed in the world of constipation, which, you know, is, is a lovely world to be immersed in. <laughs> For some. Uh... <laughs> yeah. um, yes, because I am doing the third event for Biopractica in their event series, the third event series of the year, and it is on IBS. So I have been immersed in all things IBS. So wow. when I saw our topic for today, constipation, digestive flow, IBSC, I'm like, yep, let's bring it on. Let's do it. Perfect. All right. So it uh, so- sounds like you are absolutely ready and sounds like you haven't been sitting around reading books per se, but perhaps some uh, meta-analyses and uh, other recent scientific publications. So, yes, that is look- more like it. They're un- unfortunately, unfortunately. Yeah. But, you know, look, you have been immersed in constipation. So <laughs> let's let's have a bit of a chat about, you know, give give our listeners a bit of an idea about, you know, what are different types and drivers of constipation. And what I want to cer- certainly say first is I, I think, you know, as a practitioner and depending on how deep we want to go with constipation, you know, there's your sort of your primary constipations, there's your secondary constipations, there's ones that can be caused by, I'll say, quite serious medical issues or certainly things mm. that won't necessarily be, most naturopaths will not be equipped for dealing with, you know, they, they are quite mm. specialised sort of treatments. So um, is there a quick summary you can give us on on the different types of constipation or the drivers of constipation all there, Claire? Mm, Yeah, so, yeah, let's do a quick overview. If we've got primary constipation that's broken up into three main different types, the ones that you exactly just referred to that are probably more medical, can be associated with more serious conditions and pathologies are there's a term called slow transit constipation that's normally involved in myopathies, neuropathies. There's something called functional defecation disorder, and that is when there's a kind of issues with the pelvic floor. There's pelvic floor dysfunction right. where the kind of nerves or the muscles can't, there's like they're not working together to actually allow that relaxation for a bowel motion to occur, or they'll actually contract instead of relaxing. So, you know, that kind oh, of wow. is a little bit more medical in, in that picture. Mm-hmm. 
Probably what we more see is our, like I mentioned before, our IBSC, so our constipation-dominant yeah. irritable bowel syndrome, and also the main uh, and, and some of the um, elements of secondary constipation. So mm-hmm. I'll, maybe I'll come back to IBSC at the end because we'll probably end up talking about that a bit more. But secondary constipation, you know, what, what will cause constipation? Hypothyroidism. We see that a lot, don't mm. we? Um, neurological conditions like Parkinson's, diabetes, you know, can start to affect more peripheral nerve function and also medications, you know, so opioids, obviously, does someone have chronic pain? We're going to be constantly trying to overcome that, but probably more common things that we see, iron supplements, yes, depending what kind of iron supplement they're on, antihistamines, antacids, uh, antidepressants, they can all, all cause constipation as well. I think that's interesting, Claire, only because I don't think as prackies we always sort of say, oh, you're on antidepressants, constipation, or antihistamines, constipation. I mean, personally, I wouldn't have associated antacids with constipation, but I only have to think about it for, you know, seven or eight seconds ago. Well, I guess if you're going to, you know, um, neutralize gastric acid, that could well have an effect on what happens everywhere from the stomach down. But I, I do think, you know, you, you, you've really sort of just jogged my memory a bit when I see my next patient, if constipation comes up, to really sort of drill down some of those quite common meds that people might be taking. Yeah, exactly. And a, another point probably related to that coming more under that secondary element is how important doing a good case history is for our female patients in case there mm. is any kind of issues with pelvic floor post-birth for women, but also is there endo, you know, is there something else like mm. that going on that can really present with that that gut or that kind of bowel manifestations as well. So they're kind of interesting things to be thinking about. Mm. When it comes to our constipation-dominant IBS, though, that's mm. kind of, you know, IBS can really kind of be our bread and butter, can't it, in terms of we see mm. a lot of patients with gut issues most of them would meet the criteria for IBS and that's when we start to see a lot of those diet and lifestyle factors and those gut-based factors as well like dehydration, a sedentary lifestyle, do they have dysbiosis, do they have food intolerances, how much fibre is going into that body, psychological elements like that probably relates a little bit to you know, does my patient have a mood disorder, are they on antidepressants, that's a bit of a double whammy, stress huge 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 influence on ibs and and enteric nerve function and then you know do they have SIBO you know that can obviously cause easy issues manifesting as constipation there as well so you know there are a lot of the drivers that we're then wanting to kind of address more so as the classic patient that we would probably see in clinic wouldn't we i think that's the thing that's where most practitioners will see you know, the constipation or, or something underlying that constipation. I, I recall uh, studying, you know, first year, everyone knew constipation, well, water and fibre, water and fibre, water and fibre. Mm. And and then I guess for a limited time in my in my practice, I didn't, I, I saw people who were saying, I'm having plenty of water, I'm having plenty of fibre, but I'm still mm. constipated. And, and that's why it's, you know, uh, I do think it's important for prackies to be aware of, you know, especially things like hypothyroidism, you know, this is a slowing of the whole metabolism 
this is everything kind of slowing down. And I guess that's why you listed under one of your secondary constipation, sort of causes of secondary constipation, is that, you know, that means we have to deal with that and address that as part of our overall treatment when it comes to constipation. Mm. And it is interesting uh, that, you know, you look at the stats, I think they say 25% of the uh, of Australians are chronically constipated. So, you know, th- mm. this is a big topic. And while some of it might be due to meds that we spoke of, and, you know, I guess a lot of people out there are on antidepressants. So if the kind they're taking is contributing, absolutely, we need to do that or address mm. that, sorry. But I do think it's really, you know, and then looking at some of those other things, I'm so glad you mentioned, you know, making sure that you're taking a really good case history. And, you know, especially, as you said, when assessing constipation in women, I think that's absolutely essential because otherwise um, you can give all the fibre and water you want and I don't Mm. think they'll necessarily uh, have an effective bowel motion. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think... If we've taken that really good case history and we're aware, you know, maybe we are going to have to be fighting the fire a little bit if we are dealing with the patient who has um, a pain issue, so they're on opioids and that's just how it is, or if they've got hypothyroid and you're like, okay, we're just continually going to be trying to work on motility or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that they are on, you know, they're that person that comes to you and they've already been on Nexium or something like that Mm -hmm. for, um, or an over-the-counter antacid for, you know, 10, 15 years or something, and you're like, right, from the top down, we're going to be up against it here. We're just going to have to be continually yep. working. But yep. if we, if it's not that patient and we have the patient mm. who comes to us and they're like, I have a functional constipation, everything anatomically mm. is working as it should be and mm. I'm not on any meds that would be interfering it, then we need to start going to work on those drivers of IBS really and looking at mm stimulating their overall digestive function like we've touched on a couple of times already that things that affect the stomach and and Mm. gastric secretions like our antacids and like our antihistamines are associated with constipation like if they're Mm -hmm. if if their digestion at any point from the top down from chewing to passing a bowel motion if anything there is out of whack that could be influencing their constipation and even trying to connect that dot for a patient of like the fact that you don't chew your food, the fact that you wolf your food down, the fact that, you know, we're not having much variety in the diet and there's lots of kind of sweet and heavy foods and, and not any kind of bitter or sour foods in the diet. Like all of those things, they could very much be influencing how things look at the lower end of your digestive system. So stimulating overall digestive function, I think is really important. We want to increase peristalsis right we want to increase motility in these patients yeah we want to try and moisten that stool to make it really easy to pass make sure that the gut is hydrated and that there is adequate production and secretion of fluids and electrolytes in there and then what other drivers are happening like is there dysbiosis is there a damaged epithelium or is the gut you know inflamed and then it's very rare for an IBS patient or a constipated patient that constipation will occur kind of in of itself. Like there's normally probably going to be the patient will say, I feel bloated, you know, I have gas, I have cramping, Mm. you know, associated with the bowel motion. So helping patients with those symptoms as well, I think is really, really important. 
Mm. I think it's really interesting uh, you say that. I have a few patients, females, who go away on holiday and they go, I go on holiday and I don't poop. Yeah. So there's something about get, getting out of their routine. Maybe it's changing diet. Maybe, you know, I'm not trying to say it's any one specific thing. Maybe it's changing habit. Maybe it's, you know, there's so many different factors uh, that can drive it, but that we can see people who will find themselves prone to constipation and that it may not, I think, or perhaps it just highlights they've actually got a low-grade IBS that doesn't mm. bother them when they're at home and when they've mm. got their fresh prune juice in the fridge. But when they're on holidays, uh, they they don't have their fresh prune juice. I, I, I'm not sure. But, you know, I, mm. I, I just want to bring up that this is something I notice a bit in practice. And, and I, I guess I wonder, not that we can necessarily work this out now, but whether... Yeah. You know, there is also because remember they call them bowel habits. You yeah. know, there is there is that whole habitual side of things, as well. Uh, you know, some of these other things. But I am starting. You've really got me thinking now that those patients who say I get, I'll call it holiday constipation. You know, p- perhaps they're the ones that have just one of those low, slow IBSs, just, you know, Mm. their microbiota isn't really quite as diverse as it should and they're possibly on the verge of something. If they ever got really super stressed or, you know, something really unpleasant happened, that they may actually, it may uncover this level of IBS. So, um, you know, IBS or SIBO that that can be there underneath. I was really thinking of, yeah, gut brain, gut brain axis when you're talking mm. about because I, I totally know that patient that, that you're talking about mm. that's like yeah it's just like as soon as I'm on a plane even if it's like you know five or six hours away everything stops yep. everything and it's like mm. yeah we're maybe walking on a bit of a, a tightrope there keeping the gut in homeostasis on a normal day but just mm. um that yeah bowel habits exactly as you say the role that the brain has because at the core of constipation, it's about motility. It's about peristalsis. Mm. It's about that there, there's almost, it's literally like a letting go that has to happen. Mm. And, and the brain will play a really big role in governing that. So, yes, mm. I, I don't think that we'll be able to sit here and figure it out on the spot, but I, I agree it's a very interesting thing to kind of ponder, isn't it? As naturopaths, something, as something that naturopaths ponder. Naturopaths would happily sit around for three hours and, uh, yeah, just chat about that, absolutely. But, look, perhaps yeah. we should move on there. <laughs> So, look, we, we can talk about constipation all we want, but, you know, what sorts of herbs do you think of? To and, and herbs not just, you know, for constipation, but really to sort of address some of the drivers as such of constipation. So do you have a number one herb that you'd be considering when it comes to uh, constipation? Well, I always like to think of, you know, if we're going to be doing this deeper work of, fixing these drivers of IBS to try and clear up however it manifests for a patient and for a large subset it will be that it manifests as constipation then you know if there is a build-up of stool there then we want to move it on before we start Mm. changing the diet and the lifestyle and you know adding more fiber or something down in there you want to just be really clearing out the bowel especially if they're like I go once a week or it's Mm. like very very you know, it's pebbles each time I go and you're like, okay, well, you're eating three meals a day. So that's all somewhere. We have to make, we have to move everything on so we can kind of start fresh. So I think something like cascara is really, really nice there. 
that's our stim- that's one of our stimulant laxatives, isn't it? So one of the like the way that that's going to work is that it is going to promote fluid and electrolyte secretion into the colon, and then that is going to allow the stool volume to increase. The stool absorbs that excess water. It increases the stool volume that pushes that pressure pressure onto the intestinal wall, and the the intestine goes, oh, okay, time to engage peristalsis. Let's have a bowel motion. You know, so we're working with fluids and electrolytes, and we're working on increasing peristalsis and motility there. And that's what we want, that muscular construction of the Mm. body moving that on. So I think, you know, it's going to be similar to some of those other popular laxatives that patients would be familiar with, like your aloe vera or your senna, but you find your cascara is just a little bit gentler and it's hopefully not going to result in that, oh, I I woke, as soon as I woke up, I, I had to go, like I was running to the toilet or that real kind of, profuse or watery stool like it's going to stimulate Mm. it but we we want to try and avoid that kind of excessive effect i suppose Mm. oh absolutely i don't think waking up with an urgent need to get to the toilet is is a particularly pleasant way to wake up shall we say (laughs) so you know absolutely that it makes sense that you're saying something like, uh, you know, the cascara there can be really useful. I, I was going to say, though, something that, you know, every now and then we talk about herbs that, you know, have been used in Western herbal medicine for hundreds, if not thousands of years, you know, and, and you know, I, I think things like dandelion, I've often used it as part of, you know, a liver formula and, and, and things like that as well. But, you know, I, I get reports that oh no you know that liver formula you've given me really is sort of helping oh i'm going to the toilet so much better so you know we Mm. we can talk about the chronic constipation and the people who as you said they're uh you know they're pooping out nuggets or or they're just you know they're clutching the edge of the seat and straining and popping a hemorrhoid out rather than poo Um, we can talk about all those people but there's some people that don't tell you that they have any of the signs of constipation until things are better. Mm. And they go, oh, guess mm. what? This is just a whole lot better. And I, I will say I've so, certainly found that, you know, with dandelion. Have you had any much experience, you know, using that for constipation? Mm. I mean, it's definitely one of our stronger bitters, isn't it? And I think mm. it's exactly what we were saying before, how things that affect the stomach like those, mm-hmm. those medications we're talking about can have that knock-on effect of then influencing the bowel and causing constipation because it's like if you negatively affect our upper digestive secretions, then nothing further down the chain can work properly. And so, I, you know, I've definitely seen that bile is like the best natural laxative that we have and we hope that every single person is producing and then releasing the perfect amount of bile, but it's not Absolutely. that hard to come across a bit of a liverish patient, is it, who's like, it's a bit sluggish and, again, they're not eating the bit of foods in the diet. There's lots of rich, oily foods. The liver's mm. working too hard or it's a bit sluggish. And, yeah, I just find dandelion is so good for that. It's going to stimulate right from the stomach. It'll stimulate the pancreas. It'll stimulate the, the bile production and the bile flow from the liver and gallbladder. And so it's going to help a lot of symptoms that someone Mm. can potentially have, you know, constipation uh, Mm. included. And I think when we use it in a powder, the extra, extra benefit is that we're going to get those beautiful prebiotics that are in the root as well. Like the FOS, the fructo-oligofructans and inulin also present in there. So going to be working on that element of the the microbiome as well, which is Mm. a, a great double whammy. 
Oh, look, absolutely, you know, and it's been, you know, really clearly sort of established that, you know, if you have patients suffering, and I know I've done this time and time again, I've used uh, specific probiotics with specific kinds of bifido, and I've seen people go from saying, I use my bowels most days, to it's like, this is clockwork, this is easy, I just have to sit there, I don't have to think about it, and Mm. it's doing itself. Mm. You know, so I've had a lot of great responses from people when we've put strategies in to actually increase bifido. So, uh, you know, I I hadn't actually thought of the dandelion, you know, if you're actually having dandelion root as such or as a powder, that you're also getting those other benefits as well. Mm. So what else? Do you have any other herbs that you would say, yep, let's definitely think about these? Well, I think then it's really nice to look at the fact that kind of almost if like from an energetic perspective, if we're looking at a kind of hot, cold temperature kind of picture, that this type of bowel can really often be hot because it can be a bit inflamed. You know, the epithelium can start to become damaged if there's any inflammation that's been triggered by dysbiotic bacteria, by food. But, and, but it can also be dry, like the, the person that is passing those kind of that dry, hard stool mm-hmm. is like really classic of that constipation picture. And so that's yep. where something like licorice is such a beautiful marrying with those more stimulating herbs that we've been talking about, cascara, dandelion. They're really stimulating, getting the bile going, getting the peristalsis and the motility going. We're then meeting with something like licorice, which we know is demulcent. Like it's moistening, it's anti-inflammatory, it helps to heal the mucosa. Like if someone has a gastric ulcer or, you know, gastritis or something, it's so soothing and it's doing the exact same thing in the lower bowel as well. And so it's kind of helping to meet that hot, dry presentation with that kind of soothing, moistening, kind of cooling effect. And I I love looking at licorice from that perspective for constipation And so then unsurprisingly, you know, one of its traditional uses is that it can also be like a mild laxative, like it helps to moisten and and lubricate the bowel. So a really interesting thing as well, though, with that kind of mucoprotective, soothing, Mm anti-inflammatory healing effect that licorice has is that there was actually some research that was done that showed licorice to significantly reduce colonic mucosal damage when it was co-administered with an irritant and so when you have something like cascara that is Mm -hmm. quite stimulating and it's got those you know anthroquinones in there and it's like it's getting in there and it's not mucking around Uh, it's really trying to get that peristalsis up you know licorice Mm. is really nice i think again something to kind of co-prescribe with that that it really helps to meet Mm. it and kind of go okay we're here to have a stimulating effect because the motility is sluggish but we also want to make sure that we're supporting that mucosa, we're healing it, we're reducing that inflammation and kind of calming everything down at the same time. Mm. Mm. I was going to say, you know, that that real sort of demulcent effect that licorice has, you know, those people who say, you know, they know they've got something in their lungs, they're trying to cough it up and they can't bring it up and, you know, you give them a bit Mm. of licorice and all of a sudden at least they start coughing and moving things rather than, Mm. you know, and obviously our respiratory system isn't quite the same as our large bowel. But, you know, there, there's similar sort of concepts there that, yeah. you know, we, we want things to move along. We have cilia, et cetera, in our lungs and things. But it's just really interesting. The more you look at what a different plant does, it doesn't necessarily just have 
in the case of licorice, for example, that wonderful effect on moving, you know, or caught stuck mucus in the lungs, but also, you know, absolutely having that impact on the bowel. And look, you know, for a long time, uh, licorice has been used in a number of different gut formulas and things like that as well, and, and with uh, obviously very, very good reason as well. Mm. And you normally tend to find, which is very useful in gut formulas, that you'll use your um, deglycorized licorice as well, where they've taken that glycorrhizic acid out. And I think that just takes away all those kind of question marks, you know, for patients mm. because if they jump on Google and then they're like, is this going to, you know, is there going to be mm. fluid retention? Is there going to be issues with my with my blood pressure or whatever? You know, we're wanting mm. to take it for that more demulcent, soothing, mucoprotective action mm. more so than that more kind of like adrenal effect that, that it has. So I think that's very useful and that can really allow you to kind of include it more long term. And I think you're probably, well, a way that I've at least used laxatives is that, like I said at the start, at the, at the beginning of an initial program, if someone, you feel like they have any buildup in their digestive system, I think the holiday constipation is another great one. Yep. Like if you know that this is your propensity, keep a bottle, take yep. it with you, you know, have it there when it's handy. And then people start to know their triggers. They're like, oh, I haven't been mm. eating the right diet or I haven't been exercising or I've been really stressed. And when I get stressed, I get tense. And, you know, laxatives can easily be something if someone has chronic constipation. It can drive people nuts. It can mm. be really, really stubborn for some people. And it's really helpful to have herbs like these on hand that even if they have moved away from being like I need this to do a bowel movement you're then working on the drivers working on the drivers I just have it in my cupboard you know just when just for those days where I feel like I need it and it can Hmm. kind of really help them mentally as well to be like I've got that support there if I need it absolutely Absolutely. I came across a few stats and that was, I think that, yeah, 25% of the Australian population have chronic constipation. So they're not talking about every now and then, they're talking about chronic constipation. And then what I thought was even more interesting was 37%, thought this was interesting, 37% take laxatives. So I'm going, well, if you're chronically, only 25% is chronically constipated, why is almost 40% of the population (laughs) taking laxatives? Maybe maybe there's something about laxatives that I don't know about that I should find out about. Mm. But what they then found was only half of the people who took laxatives said it actually really worked. Yeah, gosh. And you hear that a lot, don't you? Oh, I'm on my call. Mm. I'm on this. The doctor said to take this. So I've tried these 10 things for my constipation before I've come in to see you and I can't. And it's like, yeah, the, the way that patients explain it is like it's so – it's so uncomfortable and it can really like mm. really start to drive people nuts and you're like, I just feel so uncomfortable and the symptoms that come with it, you'd be like, yeah, I get it. Like yeah. the buildup of that after time, you know, that's sitting there in the digestive tract and what's getting reabsorbed and, you know, the burden that's putting on the liver and et cetera, et cetera. It's like it can, it really can drive people a bit nuts. Mm. Mm. Uh, absolutely. Hey, I've got a quick question for you. Hmm. If you could pull a herb out of your hat that you think you would use for constipation that you generally wouldn't think is used for constipation, what would it be? I think peppermint oil. As an oil? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Wow. Because? I, I, th- I, thought, I thought that was for bad breath, but I guess if you're constipated, you may well have bad breath. <laughs> <laughs> true. You can use it, use it for both ends. 
so much of, you know, these, these two core things that I've been looking at a lot for this IBS webinar that I'm doing that make up IBS is dysmotility and visceral hypersensitivity. They are the two things that cause IBS. So, and, and constipation, you know, it really can kind of establish or trigger or aggravate both of those. Like we know that constipation, there's a motility issue. So dysmotility for a constipated patient is the motility has slowed down. And then visceral hypersensitivity, it's when those nerves get in the enteric nervous system, they get kind of primed, heightened, irritated, sensitized, and they start to either send pain signals back to the brain that actually don't exist, or if there is pain already present in, in the bowel, then they amplify it. And so, you know, constipation isn't often happening in isolation. Like I said before, for patients, they also experience other things like cramping associated with the bowel motion before or after or gas or bloating, which is causing like cramping or pain, you know. And so having an anti-spasmodic spasmodic effect, peppermint oil just totally shines there. Like it's going to help someone with their bloating, with their gas it's going to release that kind of cramping, that griping pain that can happen when someone has IBS and they are constipated with that. And if we're introducing, again, some of our other herbs like our dandelion, our cascara, which are going to get things happening and get things moving for the patient, again, peppermint oil comes and meets that. And it's like, I have this, I'm essential oil, I'm carminative, I gently warm up the, you know, the digestion, even though it can feel cooling as well with that menthol there, but anti-spasmodic mm. effect that kind of just helps to relax the bowel, relax the nerves and have that overall effect of improving a patient's symptoms and supporting, you know, healthy motility. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Uh, look, a- a- absolutely. And, and I think, um, you know, I-, I like the fact you've suggested it because I won't say it has an opposite effect because that would infer that it's actually stopping some of the benefits of the other herbs you've spoken of. But I, th- I think it's a very complementary effect. Yeah, it's a meeting. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, we can talk about cascara being, you know, quite stimulatory. And interestingly, I guess peppermint, we often might, as an essential, especially talk about terms such as uplifting, etc. But, the, you know, I don't think we would say it's a hardcore stimulant, if you know what I mean yeah. when it comes to peppermint. We can acknowledge that there are some stimulating properties to it. But it's not in the same way we would consider something like cascara. And, uh, you know, uh, I guess the other thing is when, when you do see that bloating, you know, when people are constipated, they are likely to be bloated. Mm-hmm. You, you know, mm-hmm. so, some w- women unfortunately say, look, I've got this little sort of belly thing here. And, you, you know, in a consult, you might sort of broach, you know, their bowel habits. If it's in a social scenario, I don't think you go into that. <laughs> into that well no if you want to be invited back to that party again um (laughs) but you you, you know that it does have those you know that that gas build up etc you know can have other implications for people and that really i guess it does need to be addressed and and, you know even though you know dandelion's great you know licorice is great we i don't think we'd necessarily say it's really you know good for you know people that have a lot of uh, gas or bloating and things like that whereas peppermint reed does stand out that way yeah you definitely want that cognitive effect in there as well Mm, mm. yeah no Mm. i think it's a nice balancing effect when you're trying to give people a a true you know truly holistic i guess answer to their constipation yeah that's it and i think that's 
that kind of sums it up well, isn't it? Like from that holistic perspective, we want to see a patient and we want to meet them where they're at in that they have constipation, they probably have other symptoms like bloating, gas, cramping, pain, and we want to work on all of it. And I think that combo of herbs, it really does when you kind of break it down, like it, it does address all of it. Like your cascara is going to stimulate the bowel, it's going to stimulate peristalsis and get that fluid secreting in there so it can kind of lubricate but also hydrate the stool again if it's dry. Dandelion is, is bitter. It's going to stimulate all of our digestive secretions from the the gastric mucosa from the stomach all the way down, but especially that bile being that it is our kind of natural laxative and how useful it's going to be for that liverish person who doesn't digest fats well, you know, isn't great with the smells and, you know, there's the stools are floating, all that kind of picture there. That dandelion is so well indicated there. But then your licorice being that kind of moistening, anti-inflammatory, mucosal healing, which is great for a chronically constipated person because there's no way that that is happening and the gut is getting away without being affected mm-hmm. from all that happening. And then, you know, uh, peppermint with that carminative effect that the cramping, the spasm, the gas, the bloating that's happening with that and also helping to kind of calm down those nerves, calm down that spasm that's happening. So I think, yeah, it's a really nice combo to me. Mm, Absolutely. Look, I'm going to give you a plug here, Claire, because I think you're amazing and awesome. (laughs) But everyone who's listening to this podcast, very soon on the Biopractica Learning Hub, uh, you should be able to tune in for a replay for Claire's event, Breaking Down the Barriers of IBS, Triggers, Testing and Treatment. So uh, that should be available sometime, I would say, probably late or mid to late August. uh, If you do want to hop onto the Biopractica practical learning hub and you'll be able to learn a whole lot more about those things because I can tell you now Claire's been spending a lot of her life of late going through all the research and putting together a fantastic presentation for us all to enjoy so uh, I will say thank you so much for that Claire Um, a a fantastic uh, webinar that one However, unfortunately, everyone, uh, that's all we have time for in this podcast. Remember to keep an eye out for more podcasts where we'll be taking a deeper look at topics that relate to both natural health industry itself and, of course, some of the different medicines that can have a positive impact on people's health. So thank you so much for uh, joining me today, Claire. I know you should be rehearsing for your webinar. (laughs) Thank you. I've got to go and get to that, actually. It's on, on your to-do list, I, I can imagine. And look, thank mm-hmm. you everyone for listening. Take care and uh, looking forward to seeing you again or having you uh, or having us join you on the next podcast that we put together. To continue the conversation or find out more about our products and educational resources, please head to biopractica.com.au. Biopractica, empowering healthcare professionals.